Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Jason Yarborough. Jason is a relationship builder, revenue growth strategist, and podcast host. Passionate about people, partnerships, and purpose, Jason is a tenured VP of partnerships with experience scaling ecosystems and now training failed field teams how to implement partner data and strategy into their daily activities. Jason lives in Montana with his wife, Sam, and two kids and spend their free time hiking, fly fishing, and skiing. Jason and his wife also host a partnerships podcast called Friends with Benefits. Welcome to Revenue Rehab, Jason. Your session begins now. Hey, hey, super excited about it. Thank you so much. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. It's such a pleasure to finally be here. Yeah, I am excited to have you. And, and we'll talk about the podcast later because I think it is really cool that you and your wife host a podcast together. Um, but before we just jump in, I like to break the ice with a little woo-saw moment that I call buzzword banishment. So tell me what buzzword would you like to get rid of forever? Man, I, I've got to pick just one. <laughs> just one, which is always the hard part. <laughs> Man, there's um, so many. I've, I'll try to throw one out maybe that hasn't been used before, but like some the other day I was on a call and someone mentioned the word bandwidth. Like I don't have the bandwidth. And I'm not sure why, but I was just like, oh, I kind of shuddered when I heard that word. I'm like, we can just say no. Like, I feel like we just feel so uncomfortable saying like, no, I can't do that. We're like, no, I don't have the bandwidth. It's like, I don't know why that one rubbed me the wrong way, but it just did. And I could, I could do without hearing that one again. My, my alternate would also be to let's, would be sync up. Ah, yes. Uh, the infamous sync up about our bandwidth. Uh <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it is funny. Like, no is a complete sentence and most people are really uncomfortable just putting the period after the word no and not you know qualifying that with a reason um because yeah it's like you know i don't have the bandwidth i don't have the capacity you know there's there's all sorts of different buzzwords there that people get hung up on um and then usually it does require a sync so that we can figure out how do we give you the bandwidth yeah. Uh, <laughs> How do you get the bandwidth back? Exactly. Yeah, so we're just like, you know, one, one more and like three strikes and you're out. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, we can get in all the buzzwords. Um, so we won't talk about bandwidth or syncing up today. We can we can put that in the box and lock it and throw away the key for now. Um, so now that we've gotten that off our chest, tell me what brings you to Revenue Rehab today? Yeah, well, first, I've been a big fan of yours for quite some time. So happy to, to finally be on this show and be a guest. And today, I'm you know, stoked to be talking about something I'm super passionate about, which is partnerships, uh, but not just you know partnerships, which has also become somewhat of a, a great to hear buzzword these days, but partnerships in the context of like how we can become this, you know, new, not new, but more so this enhanced 
revenue channel for revenue leaders, right? We're finally getting the, the seat at the table, the recognition we deserve, and partnerships are a, you know, a functioning revenue channel that I believe is going to be a, a bigger player in 2024 as you were seeing things like inbound and outbound beginning to dry up. So now these revenue leaders, at least the ones that I talk to on a frequent basis, are looking for these new streams of pipeline and revenue and, you know, partnerships can come riding on their white horse now. <laughs> well, I am looking forward to this discussion. Early in my career, I was in partner marketing, so got some experience in, in how to tap into partnerships. And then now being, you know, consultancy, I'm on the partner side and I see some places where I feel like the industry are, is a bit broken or misguided. So looking forward to getting some of your perspective. Um, but to start, I believe in setting intentions. It gives us focus, it gives us purpose, and most important, it gives our audience an expectation of what they will get away, take away from our conversation today. So what's your best intention? What's your hope for what people will walk away with? You know, I think for me, it'd be getting the, the sales and marketing leaders that are listening to to fully embrace the partner motion, being the, the data, the strategy, the relationships that they have access to, and fully embracing that and incorporating it into uh, their team's daily activities. So to, to fully embrace a partner motion and no longer keep their partner team and program siloed. Um, I love that. And I think that is a great place to start is I have seen in most organizations the you know partner teams the channel teams are somewhat of their own entity mm -hmm. and quite often nobody really knows what's happening over there like right. they do stuff they go to a lot of events you know they have this whole program they do some marketing around you know driving net new partners that's usually the big measure is how do we get more partners and make sure that those partners are active but it, it's almost this, you know, separate thing. Um, and so my first question is, why do you think that happens? Like what's happening in business today that is leading to that partner motion being so siloed? Yeah. So I somewhat joke, make it contextually relevant that we're like the island of misfit toys. Like no one really knows <laughs> what to do with us, right? Uh, we do have a purpose. Um, I was having this conversation not too long ago, and I think some of it boils down to a lot of your your sales leaders, your marketing leaders come up in traditional sales motions and models uh, and those frameworks therein. And not a lot of the traditional sales models involve a partner. So when you come to a company uh, that, that has a partner program, it's kind of like, okay, well, what do we do with this group here? What do we do here? How do we capitalize on it? And often seen as someone that, you know, just kind of let them go do their thing, let the partners work with the partners, because really no one knows how to, to co-sell with that partner. They don't know how to get involved with that partner. And some of it too is going to be on the partner leader, right? To not doing it, not doing a, a good enough job of incorporating himself into what we call the four horsemen of product, CS, sales, and marketing. You know, as, as a partnership leader, I, I spend the majority of my time, roughly 70% working internally to make sure we have alignment and collaboration with all those teams. And so I think it's, you know, not understanding the, the partner motion from a traditional sales model and not doing a, a good enough job of collaborating and getting that necessary buy-in across the board. Okay. And so let's talk about what good looks like. So if we do get that alignment where 
you know, all of the, I like the term, the four horsemen, you know, all of those revenue teams are very in sync with the partner teams. What is, you know, what does great look like? Like when a company does this really, really well, what does it look like? And what are the benefits to the organization? I mean, the, the benefits are massive in, in that you get a huge lift in pipeline opportunities and revenue created and, and not only that, but also retention and customer satisfaction. Like the list goes on, but great really looks like when you start to get your, your sales team, your, your AEs, your AMs and whatnot, actually working with partners and establishing the, 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 the list of accounts, they're prioritizing the accounts that they're going to work with partners on. Instead of me or my team being what I call glorified BDRs, the, the script is flipped and that the AEs are now saying, hey, I've got these you know, 10 accounts. They're owned by these partners. I would like to work these accounts with these partners. And there's tools and data now that make that, that list accessible, that makes that data accessible. You can use a cross beam or a reveal and go look and say, okay, I've, I found my top five target accounts here. They're all owned by a partner. So instead of me trying to you know, blast out 60, 70, 80 you know, touch points to get one conversion. Let me go to a partner and try to have a few conversations to get one conversion to an opportunity or, or, or a call. The same thing with marketing, right? How can marketing begin to utilize the data? Like when I was at Drift, you know, Justin Keller and I put together some really great campaigns. But when I came to Drift, partners were more of an afterthought to bring into a, you know, a campaign or an offer, as they call it. They'd get about halfway, three quarters of the way and say, hey, we need more leads. We need more of this. Can we get a partner to help promote it? And I said, OK, what if we start at the beginning and we brought a partner in and we built this whole thing around the partner and we began to tell our story and how they make our product in this motion better? Like what happens then? What happened then was registration went way up. Attendance went way up. Opportunities went way up. We, we took the um, influence revenue and marketing qualified leads through the roof in the first year of incorporating those from the beginning. So you go, you, uh, I have this theory that there's the partner effect, bigger, better, faster path to revenue. And that works across the board for sales, marketing, CS, everybody. Okay. So what I'm hearing is that starting our marketing motion aligned with the partner Yes. And looking at their audience and really driving it that way um, and then carrying that through all the way to sales is going to give, you know, great success. Where I have seen um, at least some of my clients that have partner motions struggle is if you have a large partner community, there's always this, you know, who do we partner with for these efforts? Are we sliding these other partners? How do we be fair? You know, there's always this sort of political dynamic of if we do these things with this partner, you know, how does this impact the whole ecosystem and, you know, who's focusing on us? How do you address that when, you know, it's not just a handful of partners? How do you do those same motions and be able to scale them if you've got a larger ecosystem? Sure. And the, the truth is always in the data. So the data exists to, to, for us now to look at what's the uh, overlap of mutual customers look like. If you're looking at it from a tech ecosystem, right? How many of our, of our customers, how many of our prospects are using X partner, Y partner, B partner, and begin to prioritize based off how, what the overlap looks like, what the TAM would look like from working with a particular partner. You know, so when I was at the Drift again, I had 70 
integrations, not necessarily they weren't all partners, but I, when I first came in, I took a look at that whole list and I was like, I'm just going to narrow it down to just two. I'm going to focus on two right now so that when we do begin to scale up, the team understands how to work with partners. We've got a good fluid motion built. So we worked with Sixth Sense and Salesloft, got it right with those guys, begin to build out. Go back into your channel program. There's a few different players you can work there. Maybe you've taken on a program. You've got a few that are already existing. If you've got tiers, you know, the platinum, gold, the heavy metals, whatever you want to call it. The platinum <laughs> partners are the ones that are producing. They're leaning in. They're, they're the people that have got certifications. But you can also export your data through Salesforce and see which of your customers, right? If you've got a large customer base, which of your customers have some email addresses that don't necessarily align to their domain. Look and see who's got some some overlapping email addresses or domains that, that are assigned to agencies and those that are already doing work within your customers and begin to prioritize it from that process, that aspect, because they, they know the customer, they know the plays, they know it all. Right. And so, and, and you get further into that, looking at it from an, an entire ecosystem. If you're looking at it from an agency, which agencies are already working with your top tech partners, how do you bring that, that whole story together? to make the customers that they're servicing for you and your tech partners way more successful because they're looking at it from a bigger picture while you, the tech, the product is looking at it from one perspective, they're looking at it from multiple. And so as you begin to prioritize based off how that ecosystem lives and breathes together. And I think you hit on something that's key here is because if you're, you know, if you're talking about who's got like, you know, users that don't align to the, their, domain, then that means you're looking at your customers and have a strong retention play there. And am I interpreting that correct before I ask my question? Yeah. I mean, that is definitely 100% emotion. Like, so with, with, with our tech partners in, in particular, you know, we knew that if we had six or more integrations, we were likely to retain the customers 80% more. And so the goal would be to get more tech partners, more integrations connected so that we can retain our customers. And then once we get them retained, depending on how we're using the, the integrations or we're using the agency partners, we have a, a better, bigger chance to upsell. Yeah, and I would agree completely. And this is the place, sort of my uh, bone to pick with uh, partnership teams is <laughs> it seems like the that is the piece that doesn't get thought about. Like, you know, I see... If I look across the board at either clients we work with or people I talk to, the focus is really on how do we tap into our partners for driving net new customers? Yeah. And that's where you get to the data in like Crossbeam and, you know, systems like that. You know, where do we have shared targets or, you know, where do you have clients that I want or I have clients that you want? Yep. Like that kind of motion seems to be where everyone focuses. Um, and then on the retention side is where, as I have conversations with people, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that could be a good idea, but they don't really focus there. And to me, it's like that's a huge missed opportunity um, because, you know, you spend all this effort to get the customer if you're, you know, not making the effort to keep them. Why do you think people only focus on that front end? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> we can get real spicy real quick on this one. Um, I, I do see this a lot, and it's, a, it's an interesting time, especially in tech. Right? I've come from a few um, P 
PE-backed companies, right? And they're very heavily focused on net new, right? They're very heavily focused on the, the revenue, the number, and they're just driving as hard as they possibly can hit that because they've got these outlandish goals, right? So there's a lot of pressure to hit that and to, to get that, you know, t- that almighty, you know, 10, 20% growth year over year. And so as a result, people push the partner program to go find that net new, but say they think it's just some sort of magic wand. It can be, it can be an easy button if you, if you support it correctly and you resource it correctly. But also like one of the things I loved about working with Justin Keller was that he always preached that retention is the new acquisition. And if that's the case, then like we have to focus on like where we can be extraordinarily strategic and how we're retaining customers. And what better way to do that than through partners who are who are also doing the exact same thing, especially your agency partners. They're trying to to provide new services, upsell on new new motions, retain their clients, because you know, one lost client can destroy an entire team for an agency. So they're trying to save them and do all they can and provide new services. Yeah. Right. And so our partners, our agency partners are helping provide the necessary level of service to do more with the product, take the product further. And also going back to what I said earlier is then tying it back into other products. The reason Salesforce has all these acquisitions and this huge partner ecosystem is because once they know they get all those products intertwined with, within their customer base, those customers aren't leaving. It's way too hard, way too difficult. Right. So partners are kind of that, that same motion for any of the ISVs out here. Yeah. Right. The more the more integrations you can connect, less likely they are to turn. The more you can get an agency involved, the more strategic you can allow your customers to to be within their own ecosystem. And so I, I think most are just looking at it as it with just, you know, one one lens of just like revenue pipeline, revenue pipeline. And there's not enough KPIs around how we're retaining. I've I've tried to get my team KPI'd on upsell retention. I've, I've got them to where they could be comped, but never really, you know, metric at the end of the day on like what they should be focused on. Everybody just wants to see net new CFOs. CFOs most often historically come from non-partner backgrounds. They've been in that yeah. traditional C- CFO model. So they just want to like, it's black and white, cut and dry. And you got a few out there now that are starting to to look at it differently and see what it could be. You know, as I left, as I was leaving Drift recently, like I was able to put partner attach rate onto the tech partner manager, which is a huge win because you're not just focused on like that source net new. You're focused on influence and upsell. You're focused. You can you can really play across the board and wear m- multiple hats within the revenue scope of things. Yeah, I agree completely, and I do love the the notion that you know, CEOs and CFOs are starting to be educated on like where the benefits are. And I think you hit on something key around KPIs because, you know, I believe that what gets measured gets done. So if we're measuring it, people will focus on it and try to influence those metrics in a positive way. And so the fact that there are less metrics around retention can also be a clear place because people look at like churn percent is kind of what I see most often, but not even from a dollar perspective. It's just more like what percentage of customers are churning 
And, you know, there's an assumption that there's always going to be some number. And if they're comfortable with that number, it's like, you know, great job. Yeah. But, you know, it could be like your biggest clients churning and your revenue is going to and nobody's, you know, paying attention to it. So I do think you hit on something key there. Um, and the fact that you're working with your teams on trying to, you know, have metrics around that is, you know, gives me hope that uh, <laughs> that the industry will shift because I do see like, you know, such big opportunities of where other tech partners or services partners are really influencing client decisions. And, you know, there's some huge opportunity for, you know, the vendors to like get ahead of challenges if yep. they were tapping in. Absolutely. And, and most tech partners in, in my experience and what I've built, like AECS people, whoever it is, like is always asking what's in it for, for the tech partners. Like, are they being, so most agency partners get a referral fee for what they send in. And most people think that's just like what they're after, which is not the truth at all. We'll get to that later. Tech partners, on the other hand, if you go ask them like, well, what's the incentive? What's in it for you? And most often the ones that know what they're doing are going to say, we're just trying to, keep, we're trying to build more towards retention. Right. I remember, you know, working with Six Sense, working with Sales Loft. We were, we were all trying to get those integrations connected. Like we want to get our customers as sticky as possible. And we can only do that through getting more of our technology partners connected to our customer base. Yeah, I would agree. So I definitely you mentioned we'll get into that in a minute. I definitely love to hear your perspective on, you know, because I agree that the referral fee for, you know, an agency partner is not the objective. Like. We've kind exactly. of, you know, stopped entering into those agreements because it creates this weird dynamic. Um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well before I kind of shift gears. Yeah, I think it's a nice to have. Um, it is not the ultimate piece of value that the partner is after. It's kind of a nice to have in that if you're a smaller shop, you can get a little incremental income. And it really doesn't really start to make a difference unless you're, you know, the former HubSpot model where they were paying out, you know, quarterly dividends basically. Uh, but for, for those agencies that are getting those referral fees and, and those sellers that think that's what they're after, they're dead wrong. They're after the service dollars. The more serviceable dollars they get, the more money they're making. They make way more money by servicing than they do by referring. And so yeah. they're trying to get as much re refer much of the servicing dollars as they possibly can, which is why when I start out any, any new program, I'm talking to those agencies. What's going to make me the most valuable partner you've got? What are your expectations? Where do most get it wrong with you? And what are your business objectives outside of this partnership? Because I want to align to what you're trying to accomplish and what you need as a partner so that at the end of the day, when I build this program, you're like, dang, that, that partnership with that guy is the most valuable thing I've got. So I think about it more holistically as much as I can and going back to like where I try to connect the whole ecosystem. So like agencies, at Drift, we were really good at making sure that our top agency partners were also really close and working with our technology partners. Because sometimes your product doesn't allow for a ton of servicing. Drift, it's a chatbot. wasn't a whole lot of servicing to do once you built those playbooks out. But once you get it connected to a Sixth Sense and a data provider, a uh, sales engagement platform, and maybe one other thing, there's all sorts of ways to begin to weave that, that, that narrative and that story to begin to build bigger, better, more intelligent playbooks. Yes. So you try to you try to connect them as, to as much value within your product and your ecosystem as possible so they can make as much coin as possible. Yeah, and I, I agree completely because being involved, you know, we have one unofficial 
partnership relationship that has just happened because we have two clients that are really big for a particular technology and their CSMs have recognized like, oh, we need to be talking to them because when they talk to the client, they don't always recognize, you know, a new feature comes out, client doesn't immediately recognize like, oh, here's how this fits. But I'm on that call and they're like, oh, you know, let me show you this. They do the song and dance of the new features. And I'm like, oh, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Client, you know that thing we're planning? Here's a place we could use that. Or that yep. thing we did really manually, you know, we could change this to now automate it or get better intelligence. And like those sorts of things are where, like for me, the services revenue comes in. Because even though I'm not doing much or hardly anything in that particular technology, now that we have this feature functionality, we got to rethink the strategy on some of these things, incorporate that in there to be smarter. And so, and then it also creates the stickiness because the two clients I have on that, they'll probably never leave because we've got that tech so ingrained in everything that they're doing. If they tried to move like it would take more than a year to unravel and it's a small, you know, kind of, it's not drift, but kind of like a drift where it's a small piece of tech in the grand scheme of things, but it's so integrated into the strategy. And that's really where you talked about strategy at the beginning. That's kind of where I want to go next in our discussion is, you know, it is that strategy around how you tap into partnerships. And I think you've mentioned a couple ways, like some of, you know, aligning with other technology partners. So for those that are thinking about implementing a partner strategy, they recognized either they don't have one or the one they have is weak. Like, where do you start thinking about how to tackle that and what that should look like within your organization? Yeah, I always think about it from the, the needs of the customer. Like, what does what does the customer need? The customer is going to talk. If you ask, if you just go ask the customer what they want, what they need, what their expectations are, they'll tell you what they what they're looking for, what their what their problems are, what their pain points are, and pain points specific to your product. They're trying to do the best they can. They're trying to to scale as fast as they can and move as fast as they can. So they've got ideas, <clears throat> hopefully. <laughs> and so you know, I've come in, I've taken on new new programs before, and I've, the first thing I've do I've done is gone in and talked to a few customers. Hey, what's your take on the? What do you think about the product? How's it working for you? How's how's it providing? What do you what what are you seeing? Great. Who else are you working with? What's important to you? Kind of thing. Start asking some questions to the part to the customers, and maybe your your customer success team already has you know, a knowledge base of what customer needs are. Maybe they've got some Airtable board or some customer success request board that, that that you can pull from. When I came into, I think it was Drift or Reveal that I, there was a, a, a Pando board or something that I could pull and had all these customer requests in it. I could begin to scour through and be like, okay, customers looking for these things, these things, partners can solve for A, B, and M. Let's go ahead and, and attack those right now because that we have the most requests around that. So if you're thinking about building something new, always start with the partners. Don't start with you know a gut instinct or a, a shiny sales pitch from another partner. Start with what the customer's needs are, where the customers currently exist. There's really great tools you can use like a built with or a clear bit, or even you can even drill into reveal or crossbeam to understand like where your customer base uh, exists from an integration standpoint, what they're currently and already using. And begin to go to those those technology vendors 
then again, you can try to pull the data to see where your know, agencies might exist and, and see where they're already working with agencies and or those agencies that exist within your ecosystem. Maybe you're in MarTech or you're in manufacturing or fence. Start you know, building the target account list of partners that you want to have conversations with and see if it makes sense that, that if they're working with your ICP or not. Just start having some discovery calls, seeing what they're up to, who they're doing. Spend the first spend the first 90 days just doing some exploring and discovery to figure out what's going to work best for your customer base. Okay. And so that's how to get started in, you know, a partner program. Let's yep. assume that there is a partner program in place and I'm the head of marketing. Um, how do I better tap into them? Um, like where, you know, what from a strategy perspective, if I've, you know, if they're kind of operating and doing their own thing and, and marketing's operating and doing their own thing, what what does a good strategy look like for me if there's a program in place already? Yeah, you want to be able to build out a strong business case as to why marketing should begin taking a look at, a, you know, the partner base. Right. So I'll use the example of, of Drift again. We had a lot of success building that program. Uh, so we, we came in, we took a, a showed the team. All right. Here's the opportunity we have with just six cents alone. So here's my here's my idea. Right. We've got 800 mutual customers. We've got this amount of overlap. These are figurative numbers. Right. We've got these massive overlap numbers. And so, like, if we did this. And we got, you know, just our standard amount of registration attendees. And we kind of followed the, the protocol that you have. Here's what we're looking for. But it's going to be higher because we've got a strong better together story. We've got strong overlap already. And people want to use this integration. So what we did, and Justin Keller was great to work with on this, is that I said, hey, what if we just spent one quarter working with one partner? Let's not try to boil the ocean. Let's spend a quarter just working with Six Sense. Let's do a webinar. Let's do some some personalized chat playbooks that fire anytime a six cents customer or a six cents opportunity or prospect of ours that is a six cents customer hit the website. Let's build some some ebooks and let's see if six cents can do the same on their page. All right, let's get really purposeful in how we're working with one partner. And we did that. We've had huge huge traction. So much so that instead of you know maybe playing with one partner here and there. Keller and team decided, all right, 75% of all of our marketing offers are going to involve a partner from the beginning. Because the, the lift was a, it was much easier because you had support coming from the partner. They were helping, they were driving, they were pushing stuff out, emails, ads, everything else. And so you're kind of splitting the responsibilities 50-50, 60-40 maybe. And so you're getting a, a much bigger lift in support. You're getting a much bigger lift in MQLs. The last webinar we did with a partner, we set the company record for registrations and attendance. Wow. Because it was with a partner. Yeah. And I think just, you know, more anecdotally, having seen, uh, you know, I've followed Drift for a while, having seen some of those, I also think it helps when you have two strong brands like that and you do those co marketing efforts, it starts bec to become almost a subtle assumption that like, I got to buy both of these. Like, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's like, oh, if I'm going to go buy the shoes, I need the coordinating purse. Like it just is one of those, <laughs> like, yeah, this is great by itself, but now I've seen how amazing this is together. And so you create that mindset 
from the buyer of like, I got to get budget for both of these things. Like, you know, this is the exactly. story I'm trying to tell internally. So I can definitely see how that yeah, can I mean, be really, really effective. We, we in partnership spend all this time building out these better together stories, these joint value props, these landing pages and all these other supporting materials to attract those, those audiences, right? Whether they, whether they are mutual customers that have yet to attach the integration, whether they're a target account of ours, it's a customer of theirs. Like we're building all this material to support and attract those things in. Because I, I mentioned it loosely earlier, but I think something like the gold standard of conversion, like um, touch points to conversions is like 120 to one. Wow. I have this theory that, you know, partners can drive that down closer to 20 to one because it's all via relationship. We're, we're selling based off relationship. Nearbound, which is the coin that nearbound.com and Revealer are pushing out there. It's all about selling to to your who's who. Like, who do your your people know? Who do this, who do you have relationships, and who do they know that can introduce you to those people? Think about you know the, the last time you asked about a you know you're curious about a restaurant, or you were curious about a piece of technology. Chances are you probably reached out and asked somebody. You know, what do you know about this? Have you used this? Are you doing this? I'm constantly asking that about equipment and gear and stuff like that. And so now we're buying based off relationship. Something like 70% of all buyers now have made their decision before they even start talking to the company. Yeah. And that's what the the value of going to market with strong partners and building these strong, better together stories bring. They bring validation. They bring trust. Right. They bring, you know, faster um, opportunity to pipeline and revenue velocity. Um, well, that this is all such good stuff. And I, you know, love hearing the strengths of partnerships because I do think it is a place that, you know, more organizations need to tap into, especially when other channels start to underperform. I mean, I think it's always great to tap into partnerships, but becomes that much more valuable. Um, and so talking about our challenges is just the first step and nothing changes if nothing changes. And so right. in traditional therapy, the therapist will give the <laughs> client some homework. But here at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us some homework. And so for those that are listening, if you know what you've shared around partnerships and tapping into partnerships that are profitable for uh, both organizations, where what's your one thing? Where would you suggest someone start? As far as digging in to, to get a better understanding of, of the possibility of partnerships? Yes. Yeah, you know, I point people to um Crossbeam's got really great content out there. Like they have everything from 101 to scaling and everything else, how to use and understand data. You know, I really am a big fan of Sean Blanda and the the stuff he's putting out there, the blogs that they write and the material and the support they provide. It's a, it's a fantastic resource. I always encourage people to just kind of start there and then you can begin to expand based off the relationships that they have. Nearbound.com has a lot of really great content and materials as well. Um, I, I host a lot of like open office hours to help people understand and provide some coaching to, to sellers and partner managers. Um, there's a ton of people and, and resources out there right now. Like Adam Pash does a good job of pulling people together. Um, partnership leaders is a really great community just of that partnership leaders. 
So if you've got a partnership person in your company or your organization that's not a part of that community, I highly encourage uh, you to to pay for their membership to be a part there because there's invaluable and infinite resources there. Awesome. I love when the call to action is educating yourself because I do think that that is always a great place to start. There's no one size fits all for any organization. Correct. So all the resources that you listed are a great place to figure out. And I wrote a couple of those down. I've seen a lot of Crossbeam stuff, um, but I hadn't looked at Nearbound. So that's- uh, yeah. They're all list. things that I wish I had when I was coming up in partnerships or coming <laughs> up in a sales organization. It's like, we were just out there trying to hack stuff together and figure it out on our own and making all the stuff work. And now all this content is like, yeah, that's, that's what we did. So we weren't completely crazy, maybe, you know, 30%, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it is those people who kind of went through the trenches who are now able to produce that content to say, like, let me, you know, streamline this or, or give you exactly. a better way. Um, well, Jason, I have enjoyed our discussion so much, but that's our time for today. Um, but before we go, tell our audience how they can connect with you and give us the shameless plug for Friends with Benefits. <laughs> I yes. want to hear about the podcast. Um, and I'd also love to hear how you and your wife ended up starting it together, which I think is so cool. Yeah. So <clears throat> try to give you as much of the condensed version as possible. But my uh, my wife is also in tech partnerships. Uh, when when you and I first met, I was at a company called PFL. And when I left there, they asked, like, you know, we, we need to we really need to replace you. How do we do this? I was doing a lot of marketing, evangelism, events, stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? My wife can do this in spades. You should hire her. And they laughed. They were like, wait a second. Yes, we know her. This is a good idea. So they actually hired her and she took the program much further than than we ever could, which is awesome. And so we, she's been doing it for three years now. I'm get pushing about seven years. So we've got a, almost a decade of partner experience between us. And we always joke that we should do something together because we have a lot of the same conversations. I'll be in one meeting and I'll look over 30 minutes later. She's normally sitting behind me. Uh, she's talking to the same person I was just talking to. So we're like, we should just like record some of these conversations. And so we started joking around like a friends with a partnership, a, sorry, a podcast called friends with benefits would be hilarious because there's so many like, you know, puns there yes. being that she's my wife. Uh, we always joke that with our family that like we are we're, we get paid to make friends and they're basically friends with benefits because most people don't understand what partnerships is outside of tech. And so we started this partnership, this podcast called friends with benefits. It's a uh, revenue. It's a podcast about revenue generating partnerships, uh, specifically in the B2B space. We bring on some B2C guests as well. A lot of sales leaders, uh, relationship uh, leaders as well. So the whole premise is like how do we're talking to people about how to build these purpose built relationships and how does that, affect and influence the business right but not, not all not only the business but also yourself right like how do these relationships influence you and how do you bring that into the work that you do and so we try to cover it from like a good uh you know business perspective and a personal relationship perspective as well and we're having a ton of fun with it getting some good traction and got a lot of really great guests coming on and it's lined up so it's just been a lot of fun doing it with her that is so awesome. I, I love love a good story. Um, and especially when you can mix a love story with business. Um, that That is so awesome. So we will make sure to link to Friends with Benefits. Uh, so you. wherever you are listening or watching this podcast, we'll make sure to link to it and also link to Jason so that you can stay connected. 
Um, well, Jason, I have enjoyed this so much. It was so good to catch up with you and, you know, get a lot of insight into how partnerships can work so much better. Absolutely. This was a, this was a great time. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, I hope everyone has enjoyed my conversation with Jason. I can't believe we're at the end. We'll see you next time. See ya. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.